You're listening to episode 10. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So Get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Mutawa here, your host. I am super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Mr. David Werdiger. David, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Absolutely. Fantastic. David is an ex-owner, strategic thinker, and advisor. He's a philanthropist and a not-for-profit innovator. He's a public speaker and a writer. 26 years ago, David founded Billing Bureau and built it into a premium provider of telecom billing services to Australian Tier 2 and Tier 3 carriage service providers, which I'm sure you'll tell us a little bit more about. He's now expanding and reinventing it to meet the new needs of his evolving subscription economy. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome David to the show. David, before we talk business, perhaps just take 30 seconds to tell us who is David, a little bit about your non-business personal background. Probably start at the beginning. I'm the child of, uh, of immigrants from Eastern Europe to Australia after the Second World War. Um, I'm Orthodox Jewish and very community-minded, which is something I got from my parents. Married with five children, uh, quite a wide range, but all from the same woman. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one's already married, and the, and the youngest is uh, is only uh, eight. That's great to hear. Um, so quite a wide range of of, uh, of children. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, how long have you been in a full time business for yourself, David? I would say since eighty eight. So what's that? Twenty eight years. Twenty eight years. Wow. Wow. And- <laughs> And so tell us a little bit about, about your current business model. I'm sure it's evolved over time, but what does that look like right now? What are your core revenue sources? Yeah, it's, it's really evolved a lot over the last few years. And uh, you know, I own three businesses, and I see them as one component of my revenue streams. So there's three technology businesses uh, that are doing okay, need to do better, obviously. Um, I'm doing some speaking, professional speaking and mentoring, and I've got the, you know, just a passive investments in a, in a variety of things, including, you know, technology and startups. And I'm a, a big believer in, in having a very balanced approach of mix between active and passive investment and active and passive involvement in a variety of things. Um, so what do you look for when you're looking at passive investments? I'm assuming that could be businesses that you just essentially put money in and then someone else runs the business and you just draw a dividend or some return. I look beyond just traditional assets. 
So, you know, I've invested in some funds that are exposed to small caps and that are getting very good returns. I've invested in several startups through a platform called OutCrowd um, and also directly. Yeah, and, and these sort of things that uh, are all part of a balanced approach to to investing and, you know, wanting ex- exposure to a, a diversity. Mm-hmm. And I might just dig a little bit more here. So if somebody is looking to to get investment from somebody like yourself, what are you looking for when somebody is looking to get investment from you, David? So first of all, I take a, a portfolio approach to investing in entrepreneurial risk, uh, which means that my goal is to invest in at least 10 to 20 different entrepreneurial ventures so that I've got sufficient exposure and 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 in the knowledge that some of them will fail and return zero. So it's really like any uh, VC investment approach, first of all. Second of all, um, I invest in something I know uh, and understand, which is extremely important. You know, there's – and even within technology – you know, I know a lot about certain things and they resonate with me and therefore I understand, yes, they'll make sense. And other things I'll stay away from because I just don't understand them enough that I'm confident to invest in them. And generally, I look at the different stage and also for diversity across the stage of investment and I don't look for anything that's seed or pre-revenue. I prefer post-revenue where there's already something happening. Right. So from your own story, David, take us to how that sort of started for you. I think that's 26, 30 years ago. Did you work in corporate? Did you just get out of uni to get started? How did that all begin for you? After I went to uni, I got a job. I was itching to get into the workplace, and I worked as a software developer uh, for a stockbroker. And then uh, I moved around, and I, I spent a year as a quant analyst in the research department, and that was a lot of fun. But even then, the whole notion of working nine to five as an employee didn't resonate with me. I was working as if I was an owner. Um, you know, that's how, how I felt. I, I wasn't comfortable with just being an employee and always had in my mind that ultimately I would, I would be in some sort of business for myself. And, uh, and what happens is I, I started importing software, uh, some very specific software development tools for developers and on the back of that, I managed to get a, uh, a custom development contract, and, uh, and I decided to take a leap out of full-time employment and become self-employed. So I wouldn't really call it starting a business. I like the, um, the rich dad, poor dad, poor dad parlance. I went from having a job to owning a job, uh, and that was my first foray into business or self, self-employment. And that business meandered along, just developing custom software, going from one thing to another, uh, from time to time, employing people and spending a lot of time hunting for the next job. And then in the mid-90s, I had an opportunity to develop a billing system for somebody. And this was a time when uh, the Australian telecommunications market was in the process of deregulating. And suddenly there was the possibility to start new service providers. And one of them met me purely by accident or by providence and said, can you develop a billing system? The guy starting the company was totally not technical. He was a salesman through and through. And I had never developed a billing system in my life. Um, And I said to him, absolutely. Uh, So I developed a billing system for him. And uh, and that was entirely to his specifications. But through him, I was introduced to this whole industry of 
service providers, emerging service providers that were selling telecommunication services. And through him, I met his Optus account executive who introduced me to another company and said, you know, these guys, they're another customer of mine and they need some help with billing. And uh, a light bulb went on in my head and I thought, ooh, okay. Because developing software is fun and I enjoy it, but what I was ultimately selling was my time and my time is limited. What I really wanted to do was be a software vendor where I could develop a piece of software and sell it over and over. And this was that opportunity for me uh, to become a billing system vendor. And, uh, and that's what I did. The second billing system I sold, it wasn't a whole billing system, it was just a rating engine, was to a company called AxiCorp at the time, which eventually became Primus, which was bought by M2, which is now part of Vocus. Um, so, you know, this is something that, that 20 years later, uh, my, my technology is sitting at the core of, of their billing systems, which is quite nice. So that got me on the road to being a software vendor, and that was the genesis of, of Billing Bureau. Right. Um, so it took you, was that about six years before you took the turn and started creating um, a more optimized business model through Billing Bureau? Yes. Uh, yeah, around, around about six years. And those six years, the business was really meandering along, had no direction, just looking for software projects and develop, developing them to spec and then looking for the next job. So, two, yeah, two things. Um, you mentioned before when you were working, you, you felt you were working as an owner, but um, within an employment scenario. I think I got it from my father. My father was a, a very successful businessman. You know, and, and he came to Australia with nothing and, and built up a, uh, you know, some huge businesses. And, you know, the example I had to look at was not somebody who worked on a nine to five job, but rather who were, was, you know, working in a business and very focused on, on the business, not accountable to anybody else but himself. So that, that was the example I have, not, you know, clock in at nine o'clock and clock out at five o'clock. And that was something that I saw and I thought, okay, you know, this is the obvious thing for me to do as well. I had worked in the business from time to time as a student and uh, saw the inside of it, but I just felt most comfortable as a business owner rather than working for somebody else. Mm, very interesting. And so what lessons are you passing on to your, I guess, five children when it comes to employment versus owning your own business? I know there's different schools of thoughts, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. What, what I like to do for my children is help them avoid all of the mistakes that I made. So the first thing I tell them is get a job and work for somebody else for a good few years, longer than I did. You know, five, five to ten years working for somebody, preferably for a large company. Uh, because I think that gives people, whether or not they choose to go into business for themselves, I think that is a great place to start because, you, first of all, you learn a discipline of working. Second of all, there are a lot of opportunities within a large corporation to move around, to get exposed to different things and to grow and to be recognized for your growth. Um, everybody's different and some people aspire to be entrepreneurs uh, and aspire to be business owners and others don't. Uh, the most important thing is to be able to, to create options. And, you know, I think it starts, and I've just got uh, one child in the workforce and another one who's uh, who's studying post-school. I'm already encouraging them to invest 
which they're doing. But as far as employment is concerned, I think there's nothing like a, a solid basis. I know a lot of young people want to want to go out there and start their business in their garage when they're 12 years old or, or whatever. Um, I don't know what their rush is. There's no rush. There's plenty of time. And having that experience in a corporate setting is really, really valuable because you learn, you learn a lot from it and you grow a lot as an individual. Mm. Very interesting. Um, but um, the mindset can be quite different if, if you've grown up in a, in a household perhaps where everybody is in their own business. You can go and get that job and maybe after five, ten years you then project out into your own business. Um, but sometimes people can feel it becomes harder to, to jump, jump out of uh, a cushy corporate role. Um, have, you, have you mentored any people in that, in that bucket? It's a very good point. Uh, at some, you know, the, I love to use the, uh, the metaphor of the, of the chicken and the pig. So uh, there's a comfort associated with being in, uh, being in full-time employment and not having to worry about whether or not you're going to get paid, hopefully, if you're working for a company that's solvent. And at some point, people who do want to want to go into business have to take that leap. Okay, I took a leap from full-time employment into working for myself and having to scrounge around to get the next job, uh, and I was comfortable doing that. And the question people have to ask themselves, are they committed to a business venture or are they just involved? And the difference between committed and involved is that's described by this example. If somebody is having bacon and eggs for breakfast, to make bacon and eggs, the chicken was involved, but the pig is committed. When I did a Masters of uh, Entrepreneurship, we came up with a business idea and our lecturers were very encouraging. They said, go ahead, you guys should do this. And there were four of us in the team and I had several businesses. The other people were all in full-time employment and you know we had several meetings. Uh, but none of us were committed, and it never got off the ground. Yes, this is all a very good idea, but are we willing to give up sufficient time and existing revenue to go ahead and do this? No, we weren't. So you do need to have that commitment to take a risk and take that leap. Now, the question is, is it harder to do it straight off the bat or once you've already worked for somebody else for a few years? And that's a really good question. I don't know the answer, but I know that anybody who does do it needs to have a safety net. They need to have some way of paying the bills for a period of time without having to rely on revenue from their startup. And I think it's helpful to have, you know, I mean, some people might be doing it because they're living at their parents' house and they don't have have, uh, have expenses. But people who do have, have expenses, can't, they can't start a business when they can't even pay their own bills. So assuming you've got that hunger, you've got that drive, and you're ready to commit, I don't see a huge difference. And I think you can only benefit from seeing how companies actually work from the inside, whether it's a corporation or whether it's a startup. You know, working in a startup as an employee is also a fantastic experience because, again, that exposes you to see how startups work from the inside. Yeah, so that's a low-risk way to learn about startups. Very good. Uh, David, walk me through how, you know, you, so now you've left corporate, um, you've worked in it a couple of years or a little bit less, but you've got that hunger to jump out and start your own and you move into becoming a software developer. So how do you get your first client? By accident. Um, I was placing advertisements for software development tools and I came across people who didn't want software development tools. They actually wanted software. And so it was good old-fashioned uh, magazine advertising that found me my first job um, and my first few jobs. And, I mean, this is this is in, in the late 80s, so you know this is back in the days when people 
actually placed advertisements and looked in, in magazines finding what they wanted. So a very, a very traditional way. Yep. You, set, you set out to import software tools. Um, what, what does that mean, import software tools, in, in, in today's technology space? In today's technology space, it doesn't mean anything because these days all software is purchased online uh, or most vast majority of software is purchased online. Uh, but I was actually importing physical boxes of software with disks uh, and selling them. And this is how you bought, uh, you know, my, for, for example, uh, Microsoft uh, MSDN, the, the development toolkit. Uh, you don't buy it on, on hard disks anymore. It's all downloadable. Uh, but in, in the olden days, you'd get floppy disks. And so importing them meant contacting the vendor, uh, which was this uh, small company in Chicago, and becoming their exclusive dealer for Australia or distributor for Australia, um, forking out some dough, buying a few boxes, and then trying to sell them. So it was it was good old-fashioned box moving, but it was box moving for software. And uh, so you had to chuck in a bit of money at the beginning without without your first customer or you found the customer first? Um, no, I had to chuck in some money to buy stock and then sell it and then have enough money to buy some more stock. And along the way, managed to get some software development gigs that I was doing, that I was moonlighting while I was working full-time and then eventually decided that there is enough work that I could start doing this full-time. Okay. And, and how did you continue to grow and generate new leads in that early phase before it shifted to, to the billing um, bureau? In, entirely organically. So, again, I was just advertising using traditional old-fashioned advertising and getting leads for companies who wanted software development services, and then I'd, I'd pick up a job and complete that job and then, and then at the same time have a half an eye looking for the next job. Uh, I also did some, some contracting, uh, so that was that was through traditional uh, headhunters. How do you coach somebody who is in a startup phase and they're trying to execute a job, but they're the only person in the in the business, and at the same time they need to be generating new leads and doing sales calls? How do they? How? What are you suggesting to people? In the early stages that you, that you've described, the person has got to do everything. Uh, when you're the only person, then. You really have to split up your time and try to prioritize. You've got to have a half an eye on what needs to be done this week and a half an eye on what, what, and what needs to be done in preparation for something that will need to happen in, in future weeks and months. Um, so it, it's really a juggling act. You've got to have the ability to jump around from a few different tasks, uh, what I call context switching. Uh, now I'm working on this, now I'm working on that and to allocate time. So in the software business, if I had a job that needed one of 40 hours of my week, I couldn't accept that job because that would not give me enough time to go hunting for other jobs. So moving from full-time employment and even and even full-time contracting, um, full-time contracting was not, was not an option for me because I was always juggling multiple jobs. And when you're juggling multiple jobs, you can't take any full-time job because that takes up too much of your time and doesn't give you enough time to do business development tasks as well. So that's what I, what I talk about when I, uh, when I mean juggling. So, so, David, you deliberately transitioned midway to say, well, I'm going to be doing some part-time contracting gigs while developing my business, so presumably you can bridge some cash flow gaps and continue to build your, your professional resume. And I, and I didn't really know where it was going to go. 
you know, I thought it might develop into a, a software development business. And from time to time, I was it. I was employing people as well because I had enough work that I could feed off to others. But I, I didn't do it with any plan whatsoever. Only that I know how to develop software, so I could develop it for myself and have people working for me rather than be doing it for somebody else. Right. And so Billing Bureau comes along and um, you've bumped into somebody who asks you to, to develop a billing platform for them, which I guess in some respects is almost payoff for, for persevering for all these years and presumably you know, it's always this theory of overnight success. If you hadn't positioned yourself in that place, then that opportunity probably wouldn't have come up and led to where you are today. So you kind of go through this initial slog, but eventually something comes up that was not anticipated. But um, So walk us through that moment again. Yeah, so I had just moved office into the city, and I um, the office space that I was going to use was not uh, was not complete. So I had I was working in that, but I had uh, one person working for me, and he was using some other spare space within the building that was empty. And there just happened to be another person who was occupying that same space, who was the person starting up this junior telco. Uh, so it was it was completely by chance that I met this guy, and I got a call from my guy downstairs saying, "There's a guy here who wants a billing system. Can we do that?" And uh, and of course, you know, when somebody gives you an opportunity, uh, you don't say no. Um, and that's how it all started. Uh, yeah, that's that's that was that. Uh, I guess you could call it a pivot in modern parlance from developing custom software to the beginnings of becoming a software vendor. Right. So you, you've acquired this customer, and then you 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 bump into an Optus management team member who feeds you on to another one or two customers. And then what was your model for growth now that you realised there's there's a gap in the market? I want to play in this space. How did you now start to pick up your next set of customers? Having identified that there's a, there's a, a vertical market piece of software that I can develop, then vertical markets are the best because they're easy to find. Anybody who was going into this business needed to be buying wholesale airtime supply from a carrier, so that's a natural source of leads. So I developed, developed it once. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I'll just stop you there. Define for me vertical market for somebody who's listening today. So I define a vertical market. Uh, a vertical market is something used within an industry, a piece of software or, or, or anything really used within an industry. So, for example, uh, Microsoft Office, that's horizontal. Everybody can use Microsoft, Microsoft Office. On the other hand, um, I'm just looking for what's on my desktop. Uh, there's a piece of software called Scrivener. Okay, I use Scrivener for writing. Um, Scrivener is not for everybody. It's for professional writers. So that's vertical market software. So if you want to, if you want to say, what should I use for writing? You can use a very generic tool, uh, or you can use a specialist tool depending on what your needs are. So a vertical market is a, you know, a specialist piece of software. People who come to us for billing systems, I say, what are you using now? I'm using Excel. Well, you know, Excel is the Swiss army knife. Excel can do anything. Uh, it's good at everything, uh, but it's not good at anything. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. So you've done that. Okay, so I did that and, and met him and started thinking, how can I switch to find these service providers? And that was really through, through networking, finding these companies who were starting up, talking to the wholesale carriers at the time, you know, Telstra and Optus, uh, that's all there was, and making them aware that I do billing systems. And for them, 
it was important for them that their customers had the ability to produce bills because if they couldn't, then they couldn't bill their customers. And if they can't bill their customers, they can't collect. And if they can't collect, then Telstra and Optus won't get paid. So I had a good relationship with these wholesale carriers and they were telling people that uh, this is a place where you could go to get billing. Right. So that was a good setup for you. So that was, yeah, and, and, and this is why you like vertical market software, because in a, in a small industry where everybody knows everybody, you develop a reputation and you sell by word of mouth, and word of mouth is the, is the cheapest way to sell anything. Mm. You won't sell a zillion of them, but you'll get deep into a single industry, and that's what we were able to do. Um, what was your biggest breakthrough moment in, uh, in the Billing Bureau's business? The biggest breakthrough moment? I would describe it as a piece of advice that I received from somebody because Billing Bureau was going along well and I was looking at growth strategies and I got in touch with somebody connected through my network uh, who had a strong sales background. And in my mind, the idea was that I would partner with this person. He would come on as an equity partner and look after sales and I would look after the software because I was the software guy. And he came and spent three months in the business to consider it from the inside. And at the end of three months, he came to two conclusions. One, that he didn't want to be in the billing business, but rather he wanted to be in the telco business because he saw more opportunities to make money there than as a service provider to telcos. Uh, But the other conclusion he reached regarding my business was that I should not be hiring a business development manager, That rather that as the business owner, I was the best business development manager. And I was the person who had the best chance of getting out there and acquiring customers. Therefore, my next hire should be instead an operations manager. That is somebody to look after the day-to-day running of the business to free up my time to go out there and sell. And that, that was a key turning point in the business because I took his advice and it was, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I've got. I was indeed the best person to be out there selling. And I hired an operations manager and got out there and brought in leads. While I was doing that, that allowed making sure that there was somebody looking after the back office meant a few things. First of all, it meant that I was uh, that I had enough time to go out and sell and, and bring in new revenue. But also it meant that I was focused on developing business systems. And at that time, I read a book by Michael Gerber called The E-Myth, uh, a very well-known book about business systems. And that was something that drove me to begin a path of withdrawing from the business in terms of my role. So the e talks about roles within a business and about business systems, and businesses rely on systems, and I decided that as an owner, I didn't want to be married to my business. I wanted my business to be there to serve me, not the other way around. And the e for me was about uh, the transition from owning a job to owning a business, because at the time, this was a small business you know, uh, I don't know, I think we maybe had three or four staff, if that. And I was going out and selling, and people were saying, yeah, this is really good, uh, but what happens if I got run over by a bus? And I didn't have an answer for them. If I got run over by a bus, the business would collapse. And I decided that I I didn't want to have that. I didn't want to have a business that was that dependent on me, that it couldn't continue, um, both from a business continuity perspective for my clients, um, but second of all, because I, I, I didn't want the business to be a, uh, a load around my neck. The business was there to meet my needs, to create wealth, to be successful, to deliver financial outcomes, but also to de- deliver lifestyle outcomes. And I measured my success and the growth of the business by my ability 
to have more options with my own time. Can I go, can I, can I take a holiday? When the business was at the point where I could take a few days off, I thought, wow, okay, the business has its own momentum. It has its own life aside from me. When I was able to take a holiday even during our peak time, which was the, the build run time at the start of each month, Again, that was another milestone in the growth of the business. And that's the journey of turning something from a, from a business into, into an asset, something that has value outside of you. Right. And that's an important lesson. Um, so how big did the business become or is it still growing or are you scaling it down? Where are you up to today? Um, Building Bureau was still growing. As you said earlier, we started off in telco and now we're diversifying. So, We've gone through several waves of technology transformation, of technology improvements, significant ones. And what we've done is we've developed a strategy for diversification, and that is based around uh, continuing to be in, in billing, but not telco billing, but rather recurring billing. And uh, we talk about the subscription economy. A lot of businesses are now moving towards selling things by the month, whether it's for a fixed price or for a variable price. And all of that revolves around billing and billing relationships. And that is the space we're moving into now. So the company is growing and we're now looking at uh, new vertical markets besides telco and we're making some inroads in those. And we're also looking at other ways to grow the business more rapidly than organically. The business has grown organically for 20 years and now we want to look at other ways we can grow. Now, you've just launched um, the boardroom.com mentor and advisor advisory services to CEOs and SMEs. What brought that about? So I've always wanted to keep a balance. So I've got these businesses, but these businesses don't occupy all of my time. All of my businesses are based around recurring revenue, and I like the idea of earning more money while I sleep than when I'm awake. Uh, recurring revenue is a beautiful thing. Billing Bureau is a recurring revenue business that services other recurring revenue businesses. So the amount of time that I can put into those businesses that can add value to those businesses is limited. I think it's important to balance the uh, income that you get from active involvement in a business with personal exertion income. And that's where mentoring comes in. I've been around the traps for a while. I've learned a few things. I've informally mentored people. So I decided I wanted to head along and do this on a more professional basis. So I joined the boardroom, which has been operating in Sydney for about a year and a half and just launched in Melbourne about a month ago. And I'm part of their first Melbourne group of mentors. The, the mentors in the boardroom are all themselves experienced business people uh, with real commercial experiences, executive coaches, business coaches, where people who have done the hard yards ourselves and are still, to some extent, involved in business, and now moving to the point where we want to help others. Yeah, that's uh, that's the boardroom in a nutshell. Fair enough. And how's that tracking along for you in the in these early days for you? Oh, it's great. I've uh, already got my first mentor client, and I've got several in the pipeline. So you know, in a way, it's back to selling stuff, selling myself this time. But it's really enjoyable to work with somebody who is where you were a few years ago, and to provide them the benefit of your experience. And you can, uh, I can see how I can help others. So I find it really enjoyable. I'm enjoying this new journey, and I don't know where it will go, but it's just yet another thing that I will do with part of my time. Mm. 
That's fantastic. I want to um, shift a little bit here and ask you how you rank the following, if you rank these at all, um, faith, fun, family, finances, and friendships. I would have to put fun first. It's about the journey and it's about what we do and it's important to enjoy what you do. Obviously, the goal is that what you do is both enjoyable and can pay your bills or help you reach your financial goals. And so finding the intersection of perhaps fun and finances is important. But really, you know, I mean, I don't uh, rank, ranking things is very difficult. But the one that pops out to me, I've got to have fun. I've got to enjoy life. This is why we're here. We're here to to have a go and to get up in the morning and to be excited about what a new day can bring and what we can achieve. Love it. That's great. Um, Now, David, a 30-second look into your day in your life when you started your business versus a day in your life today. It's very interesting. When I started my business, I was doing stuff, but I didn't really know where I was going. I was doing lots of different things with the limited skills that I had at the time. Today, I'm doing a lot more things with a much larger set of skills. I have a slightly better idea where I'm going. So, so walk me through a typical day back then and a typical day now. A typical day back then, I was working from home. I would get up in the morning. I would uh, go from the, the bedroom to the kitchen to, the, uh, to my study and I would develop software, and I would spend a bit of time hunting for jobs and responding to correspondence and doing sales, a mix of those things at any given day. Today, I've got a very full calendar, so you know I do lots of different things, whether it's a few not-for-profits I'm involved in, whether it's just generally catching up with people. I spend too much time replying to emails. I spend a bit of time meditating when I can or going for a walk, which is very, very meditative. Very good, very good. Nice, nice to hear. Um, do you invest in mentors today? Um, if yes, why? And who are those for you? I don't have any one mentor, but I speak to people, and I speak about things, and I think a lot. So, you know, it's interesting that I'm sort of pitching myself as a mentor, and I haven't really had a mentor. I have an advisory board. I have other people that I look up to and that I meet with from time to time informally. So I guess I have a... Rather than a mentor, I have a network, which is quite a broad network and a growing network. And I talk to people, and that's very stimulating, and I bounce ideas off people. And why is that important for you, do you think? The, The most valuable thing that we have is experience. If you don't have experience, the most important thing you can do is gain from somebody else's experience. And if you do have experience, it's the most important gift you can give. I love that. That's great. That's tweetable, yeah? That's tweetable, definitely. That's fantastic. Um, best two books that you would recommend for entrepreneurs? I haven't read a lot of these entrepreneur books. I'm not really into that. But the two that were really important to me was Gerber's E-Myth and The Lean Startup. Uh, Lean Startup's become a bit of a Bible, but it's really important because it's the way things are done these days, the iterative approach to developing software product, and that's the industry that I know best. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And the E-Myth is all about growing businesses. Yeah, I've actually got the E-Myth um, right in front of me here on my bedside um, desk. So, um, yeah. Now, what is the best way, David, for people to connect with you? Um, just go to my website, davidwerger.com. Okay, fantastic. David, before I ask my last question, I just wanted to 
acknowledge your presence here on the show and thank you for everything that you're doing in the marketplace, all the mentoring, all the coaching. I know you've been very generous with your time when we've caught up in the past and uh, for impacting and pursuing your dreams and that in turn helps others to pursue their dreams. So um, I thank you for pouring out those words of wisdom here in the business journalist community. And so thank you very much. And uh, for the last question, David, um, when all is uh, said and done, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for? And uh, tell us why. I just want to be remembered as a good person who did what he could to help others. Why? Because that's an important an important value. Helping others is a, just a, a very important value for me and goal in life to be giving and to be helping others when you can. Fantastic. Appreciate that. So generosity is at the heart of everything that you do. Um, yeah, a fair bit of it. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with me and David today. Hope you had as much fun as I did, but more importantly... My hope is that you can get your hopes up, that you're good enough to chase your dreams. Head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes and just type in David in the search bar and all the show notes will pop up with everything we talked about today. Um, And just jump onto davidwerdiger.com for uh, a way to reach out to to David. David, thank you so much for being on the Business Journals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. Uh, We are grateful you are a true business general. Thank you very much. Hey, what's up, Business Journalist family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journalist podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.